0: All right, how are we doing? Good, 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 awesome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. Um, Last week, we looked at our enemy. Uh, We looked at who uh, Satan is. We looked at uh, what he desires for all of us. Uh, We talked about how he uh, longs to devour us at, at all costs. Um, we looked at some of those scriptures that uh, outline his fall. We looked at the scriptures that outline, uh, just that tells the truth about who he is. It tells the truth about what our enemies like, that he's a, a liar, that he's a deceiver. Um, it says that he is like a roaring lion looking to devour any and all that he can. Um, And I don't know how uh, well uh, versed you are on your uh, uh, National Geographic type stuff, but if you've ever seen a lion, a lion is not one of those that's just out in the middle of the field being loud and and, uh, making a lot of noise, but rather, what is he? He's more sneaky and so he's deceptive and so he's gonna sneak up and uh, it's in those moments when you least expect it's whenever he uh, rears his ugly head and he comes for us to devour and destroy. And so um, we looked at all of those types of things uh, last week. So um, I close with a quote that, that I just believe believe is just right on spot uh c.s lewis says this just this great man of the faith um in years past he 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 says this he says humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough did you catch that he he says c.s lewis says either we take him far too seriously or we don't take him seriously enough and so i would just say this i just don't believe every flat tire is product of the devil I just don't. I mean, sometimes you just run over now and, and you just run over nail. That's just what happens. Um, uh, but but on the other hand, I'm not going to be so foolish to think that that he doesn't have a hand in certain things as well. And so that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. It's just uh, we need to guard there. We need to take serious the schemes the devil all the while knowing that sometimes difficulty is just a good gift of God and yes I said that right that difficulties and struggles and different things in life is just a good gift of God that he uses to mature us and uh, press us on in our faith and so if you missed any of that sermon or any sermon from our summer series man be sure and check it out online our web page or our Facebook page and so um, it's just crazy to think how vastly summer is winding down all of us working folk were like what you talking about it's just like what summer and like all the kids are devastated school's coming back and it's just I'm sorry not really but I'm sorry but it's winding out it's crazy it's crazy thing it just seems like summer started vacations time away time with family all of those types of things school getting out starting this series and now now we're at the end of it. Now we're at the end of it. We've got this week and next week of our summer series of Jesus Said What, and then uh, we'll jump into some other things. And so um, I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray, and then we'll kind of uh, get ready and prepare ourselves for where we're going to be this morning. But, Lord, we ask, God, in this moment, if you would speak to us. God, if your Holy Spirit be heavy in this place. God, I want to I say you have freedom in this place. God, I do whatever you need to do, whatever you want to say from this pulpit this morning to whatever heart you need to convict and draw and encourage oh god may you fill us with your presence god may it be heavy in this place this morning was just your glory and your honor so jesus i walk in here acknowledging that i need you more than anything else in this world more than the air that i breathe the food that i drink the or food that i eat the water that i drink jesus i'm in desperate need of you every moment of every day every second of every day and god i just pray that you would help us get to that place where we see that all the more So, God, speak. God, we beg of you, please speak. Oh, God, we pray that you're glorified here in this place this morning. God, I want to pray what I pray week in and week out, that you would save the lost. God, that you convict those that are stuck in sin. God, that you would break the chains of bondage of sin this morning in this place. God, we pray, we beg of you, do a work. Do a work. maybe for your glory and for your honor. Shall we pray? Amen. And so the different sayings that we've looked at uh, in this series just it, it either it either stirs within us worship or it stirs within us frustration toward who Jesus is. Um, and so these are just some of the sayings that uh, that, that really just kind of confront us in, in who we are, uh, confront us in our sin, confront us in our uh, uh, just just in, in who we are. And so everyone everyone really loves the long-haired, sandal-wearing, Whole Food shopping Jesus who talked about peace and love all the time. We're good with that guy. We're okay with him. But whenever Whenever we look at some of the difficult sayings, and as, we've dived, as we dove into this series, it just confronts us with the difficult truths that Jesus spoke. It, it tells us of the difficult things that, that Jesus has presented when he was here on earth. It's not all just butterflies and puppy dogs. There's, there's difficult truths that Jesus gives. There's difficult expectations that he has for those who follow him. And so today we're going to look at one of those things that just gets thrown around all the time. It's one of those things that we kind of use to, to justify some things or, or we kind of use to, to make ourselves feel better about certain things. Like, like anybody ever picked last in, in, in sports? You know, like if we're, if we're doing like dodgeball, like I was just, I, I don't, sorry, Gino, man. I feel you, brother. One person in the whole church was, was honest this morning. They need this. Just, just, I'm talking to you for a moment. They need this. Um, but, but no, it's, it's kind of like we use this scripture to kind of justify that. If you've ever picked last or um, you, you pull up to Walmart and God is shining his face upon us because there's a parking spot in the front. There it is. I mean, we, we kind of use those kind of things and we kind of liken it to this scripture. But, uh, but the thing, as we look at it and as we read it and as we kind of dive into it here in a few moments, it really doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense when you look at it from our perspective, from a logical perspective. But while we know all know the saying, most of us probably don't know that it's at a conclusion of a parable. It comes at the end of a parable, a story that Jesus is telling. And so parables help us understand why it makes this so difficult, this saying so difficult. It points to, to why Jesus came and, and why we're to follow him and what it means to follow him. That's what he's doing. He's summing up and tying together this parable that he just talked about, that he just told the story. And so the first thing we have to look at, the first thing we have to understand this morning is what is a parable? Uh, what what do I mean when I say parable? When Jesus tells a parable. And so a parable is just a story that Jesus told that had routines of the time pointing to a specific teaching that he wants the people to understand and get. So so they're a very agricultural rich time, A, a lot of farming, a lot of working of the land. And so what Jesus would often do is tell stories around that reality because that's something that they would see often. That's something that they would be familiar with, those types of stories of how to cultivate the land, how to cause things to grow, how to harvest, do different things like that. So Jesus would tell a lot of agricultural type stories. I mean, I do it week in and week out. I'm not adding to the Bible or I'm not, but I'll tell stories to kind of help uh, uh, compliment or help kind of come along and, and uh, interpret some scripture type stuff. So I'll pull, pull back the curtain a little bit to my life and I'll tell you some of the crazy things that God's doing in my life or how he's teaching me or how, how he's doing things in my life and I'll use different stories and it's almost as if Jesus does the same thing. He, he tells these stories to point to who God is. To point to the heart and nature of the Father. And so as we look at this, we'll know that this, this is a story. A parable is just a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. A heavenly story with an earthly meaning. It's almost as if God just pulls a story out of heaven to highlight and to show the very heart and nature of God. And so this parable this morning doesn't have multiple points to it. It does exactly what Jesus says that it's going to do by showing us what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's that's the point to this. He wants to show us and us to get our heart around that reality. And so there's great danger in just listening to Jesus and totally misunderstanding the nature of God or missing the whole point of the story that He's telling. Jesus was concerned with this point with his disciples, and I believe he's just as concerned for us in the same way. And so there are so many people that I'm afraid of that that come in week in and week out and think that they're Christians and they really miss the whole point of the story. We're going to see the whole point of the story this morning. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It'll be on the screens if you don't have your Bible, but Matthew 20, starting in verse 1. This is what Jesus says. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like... And so we see Jesus use this phrase very often in the scriptures. He makes this statement very, very often. And so when we see this phrase, what follows is really going to give us um, a clear picture of who Jesus is and why he came, his heart, his nature, what he expects of us. And the reality is this, we're all moving towards something, are we not? Every single one of us are moving towards something. And for those of us that belong to Jesus, this is where we want to move toward. We want to move toward the kingdom of heaven. We want to be where Jesus is. That's the very heart of, of why we do everything that we do is to be with him. We don't work to get to him, but we work to show that we belong to him. We allow him to change and shape and mold us. So all of us are working toward this, the kingdom of heaven, being where Jesus is. It should be the very longing of our heart. It should be the very longing of our heart. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius, a day he sent them into the vineyard. So he, they agree to this Denarius this day's wage for the day. They, they agree to that and then he sends them out to work. And going about out about the third hour, okay, so, so what's he talking about here? Because this is a different timetable than we use today. This is the Hebrew time here. And so 9 a.m., going out about the third hour, would be 9 a.m. See, a work day in, in this culture, in this world, would have typically been for 12 hours. So the first hour, 6 a.m., the third hour, 9 a.m. So going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace And then to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, noon, six hours noon, and then about the the ninth hour, three in the evening, he did the same, and about the eleventh hour, which would be considered five in the evening, one hour before the work is up, he went out, found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? so so get this picture for a moment you've got the owner of the vineyard he's got a vineyard that needs to be worked he needs people to do the work to help out with the work And, and he's a fair just man he's going to give them a day's wage and so he's walking by and there's the marketplace and he sees some guys just hanging around not working and what does he do he reaches out and he extends an offer some at the very beginning some three hours in some six hours in some an hour before shutting down before quitting time I mean, who's going to hire somebody an hour after you get through HR, after you get through all that stuff, after you pass the background check, drug test, all that stuff? Who's going to hire somebody then? No, 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 not this guy. He's looking for workers. He wants somebody to be willing. He's looking. Who can he pull? Who can he get? You're standing there, let's go, let's work. So he approaches. That's what we see happen here. And he said to them, why do you stand there idle all day? And so then, then they respond. They, they give him their reason. He said to him, because no one's hired us. No one's approached us. I mean, is that not our like second, like, oh, okay, maybe maybe there's an issue. Uh, maybe, maybe, there, maybe there's a good reason. But see, Jesus doesn't go into all that. Jesus just sees some guys hanging out that there's this great need in their life. And so what does he do? He approaches them. The, the owner of the vineyard approaches them. He sees some capable, willing people, and he goes after them. And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And so what happens is in our culture, in our world, we, we kind of lose the reality of what's happening in this story we kind of miss what's taking place because of our culture our setting our day and time I mean can you imagine for a moment the desperation and maybe the depression in this story that they would have felt it's not our world system today we've got to remove ourselves, remove the American mindset from the scriptures because that's not what's happening here see in this time there's this uh, a historian this Jewish historian Joseph and he tells us because of the Roman rule and oppression, the Jews didn't have any sort of banking system. And for a day labor such as this, if they didn't work, then you know what happens? They don't eat. If they don't work, they don't get a handout. If they don't work and do something, all is lost for the day. You go hungry. You're a beggar on the street. You have nothing. Figure it out. Deal with it. That's the system they're in. And so all of this looks lost for these workers. But look at what Jesus does in this story. Look at what, he, look at what happens. Look at his, his story of rescue here. He says to them, you go into the vineyard. You got one hour. What can they possibly accomplish or do in an hour? He says, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. It's a full day's wage, each one of them. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at their master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied, did you not agree for me, with me for a denarius take what belongs to you and go i choose to give to the last worker as i give to you a- am i not allowed to do that am i not allowed to do what i chose with what belongs to me i just want to stop there for a moment let that set in think of that story walks past the market people there that could work he approaches them all different hours of the day pulls them in they work their allotted amount of time their agreed to time Uh, till quitting time they all work till quitting time and then what does he do he's a good master and so he pays the the hired help he pays the the labor of those who had worked and then what happens they begin to grumble don't they Uh, they begin to to get upset and frustrated and aggravated at the at this this uh, vineyard owner for for doing this unthinkable thing Uh, why would you why would you pay the guy that only worked an hour the same thing that you paid the guy that had been there all day I mean that's a logical question is it not probably one that we would answer i know i would be wanting to know how can i get hired on tomorrow at five that that's what i'm trying to figure out you know like like like, like, let's let's figure this thing let's step back a little bit i mean i can just imagine all of the things running through their head even the things that ran through my head as i looked at this and so this this isn't the point of the, the sermon this morning but but i just think it's just something good and this is another sermon for another day but imagine if we'd worry about ourselves like we worry about everybody else Mm, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and I know the rub there, but, but aren't we supposed to take care of and watch out for our brothers and sisters? Yeah, but does it really sound like these guys are doing that? That guy just worked an hour and got that. They were more worried about themselves than they were the guy that got to work an hour. Where were they at whenever that guy was standing in the market by himself? Yes, we, we need to worry about, we need to take care of, and we need to watch out for our brothers and sisters. Absolutely we do, but we need to do it with a pure heart, a pure motive, this scripture that's not there that's not the heart and desire of these guys as Jesus tells this story no no they're more worried about their own pockets they're more worried about what they've done have you not seen what I've done let me digress different sermon for a different day so verse 15 again he says am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me and then here's where everything hinges Here's where everything starts to change. This is where the difficult words of Jesus start to kick in. And look at what he says. He says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? Because see, this is the thing. To understand a parable, we've got to understand what's taking place, what's happening. Jesus using a, he- a heavenly story to, uh, with, with an earthly meaning. He's, or A heavenly meaning with an earthly story. That's what he's doing. Heavenly meaning with an earthly story. So do you really think it's about a guy with a vineyard? No, who's that guy? That's God. And what's God doing? God's looking to seek and to save and to rescue and to offer all that he's got. And what is he gonna do? He's gonna give a just payment for that. And how does he do that? Through his son, Jesus. He's the one that hands it out. Because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, we all can be paid. Thank God not what we deserve. Thank God not what we've earned. But what Jesus has earned for us. So everything hinges here. Do you begrudge my generosity? Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. There's the difficult saying of Jesus. The one that we miss so often, that we misinterpret, that we just throw out there because we get the good parking spot or we try to make ourselves feel better when we get picked last in the the game that we're not good at. Or we get passed over by whatever it is in life. So the last will be first. I'm just waiting to be first and the first will be last. What does Jesus mean? So before we dive into that, just one of the first thoughts that I have as I, re- as I read this, just to pull back the curtain a little bit and just kind of share some of my struggles I've read over and I've studied this week. My first thought was not Jesus too, no. He's not going down that road, not this every kid gets a, a trophy age type thing. And so as I read this at first glance, that's, that's where I go. That's my thought, like Jesus, you too? Maybe I've missed it, maybe I'm wrong. The reason why I go there is because I don't like what the scripture says. I don't like, I don't like what this, at first glance, at first reading, what, what, this, what this is saying. I don't, I don't like it at all. You mean the guys that sweated all day long, did all the work, they get the same amount as the guy who hardly worked at all, who, who spent just a, a few moments working, who stood around all day? And so when you read the Bible, there's going to be parts, there's going to be times that just rubs and agitates us, that aggravates us. And what I've learned in my experience in my walk is those are good gifts from God. Oh, when you read the scriptures and it convicts and it it rubs, what do you do when you get a piece of wood? We just did Jerusalem projects a few weeks ago and when you get a rough piece, what do you get some sandpaper and you have to sand down the rough areas? You know, what? we're we're like that lumber that's got the, the rough areas on us. We need to be sanded down and that's what God's word does. And usually when we read something in the scriptures that we don't like, that's exactly what God's doing. That's exactly what God's doing. He's sanding us down, he's convicting and he's showing us all of the areas in our life where we need to be more like him and less like us. It's supposed to agitate, it's supposed to rub against. And the reason why that's the case is because we're full of a lot of us. We've got a lot of us in us and the Bible is full of a lot of God and the two just don't get along, flesh and spirit, they just don't coincide well together they just don't go there so since the Bible is God's revelation to us we need to press in and we need to see what God says and how we need to respond to it we need God shaping and molding and rubbing us and sanding us down in those areas so after I got over myself after I got over my American hard-working self and calmed down and pressed into what God was up to and there's great encouragement in this story when I got my eyes off of me and I looked at the bigger picture at hand, I looked at what Jesus was saying, the story that he was telling, the heavenly meaning there, and there, there was great encouragement because this story illustrates the mercy of God. That's what it does. It illustrates and it shows us God's mercy. See, at first glance, we don't see that because we're, we're, we're too much stuck in the moment. We're too much uh, full of us, but the deeper that we go, the more grateful that we can become because of what God's saying in this passage. When we hear it for what he's saying, it illustrates his mercy and grace. This parable appears to be upside down, though, doesn't it? It, appear, it appears to be backwards. It appears to be uh, uh, not logical. It doesn't make sense if you make the kingdom all about you. But Jesus isn't interested in make the kingdom all about us, is he? He's interested in allowing the kingdom be what the kingdom is supposed to be and it's about him and his glory and his honor and his love and his grace and his mercy. Uh, let, let me show you what I mean, just, just how Jesus turns things upside down. Just in the chapter before this, Matthew 19, leading into what he's about, what we just read, what we just looked at. Matthew 19, verses one through 12, what does Jesus do? He, talk, he talks with the Pharisees and, and they're trying to trick him about divorce and, and marriage. That's what they're doing. They're trying to catch him in something. And just Jesus reaffirms the fact that marriage is one man, one woman for life. And the Pharisees say, Ah, finally we got him on something. We got him on something. What about when God gave Moses divorce? And you know what Jesus' response is? He tells them because their hearts are hard, he permitted divorce. But he says, Those who receive me can do impossible things to fulfill God's kingdom design. That's what he says. And so I just, I just want to talk here for a moment about this. God's grace is good. His mercy is good. And, and I, know, I know how the church kind of treats divorce or how it's treated divorce. It's like that's almost been like the unpardonable sin And so if you come from a relationship that that didn't work out, a marriage that didn't work out, then so often what happens in church is is you're looked down upon or you're not worthy or you're not good or there's certain areas that you can serve in or you can't serve in. It's almost as if God's grace can't cover that or his mercy can't rescue you from that. And, And what I know is this, is that God does outline certain times where divorce is permitted. Biblically. Do I believe that that's God's heart? No, I believe God is for restoring. I believe God is for reconciling. I believe that God is for fixing. That's what I believe God's heart is. But I've been around this long enough to know that there's three parts in this whole thing. There's three parts in any relationship. There's my part, there's God's part, and there's the spouse's part. Your part, God's part, the spouse's part. So you and God could be on the same page, but there's still that factor of the spouse, is there not? So there still may be unrepented sin. There still may be rebellion. There still may be all of those types of things that take place. And so I believe with everything in me, God wants to restore. But I believe it's exactly what we see in these scriptures here in one through 12 as he tells them, because your heart has become hardened. Because your heart, people's hearts become hardened. The more they're in sin, the more they dabble, and the more that they play, the more hard their heart becomes toward God, the more difficult it is for God to, to, to rescue them and to show them their fault and their sin. And so I don't know why, but I just I just felt pressed to say that this morning, that God can use you no matter where you've been or what you've done, that his grace covers, that, that there is no one that can ever outsend the goodness and grace of our God and our Savior. No one. I don't care what's happened or what the past looks like. God is bigger than that. Do I really think that we can ever become bigger than God, that our sin can become so heinous and horrific that God can't rescue and redeem? Absolutely not. That makes us more powerful and bigger than God. But I believe that his grace and his mercy, I believe his heart is first to restore. But I believe that he's put this here because he knows the heart of man. He knows that not everyone will have that heart. See, what this is is just the kingdom of God upside down and they tried to catch him and they couldn't. Verses thirteen through fifteen is another beautiful little story. As Jesus calls the little children to him, and he calls them to him, and this is something unheard of by a follower of Jesus. Like you just wouldn't do that in this day and age. And so, what do the disciples do? <clears throat> they rebuke the parents and they send their kids away from him. But Jesus says, "No, no, no. Let the children come to me." He says, "The kingdom of heaven belongs to ones like this. The kingdom of heavens belongs to children." This is God turning it upside down again. Uh, Verses 16 of 22 in chapter 19, the story that many call the rich young ruler, the rich young man there. He wants to know how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what does Jesus do? He tells them, hey, obey the commands. Obey the 10 commandments. And what is his response? I I can just hear the arrogance in it. Well, Jesus, I've done that. I've done it. And so what does Jesus do? He sees to the heart of the matter, does he not? He sees the arrogance and the pride in that statement. Because the reality is there's not one of us in this room today can, observe, can, can can obey that, can obey the law perfectly. Not even just 10, there's 613 commands and we can't even get 10 right. We can't even get 10 right. I, this week, I guarantee you, you, you break some. And this young man puffed up, yeah, I've done that, Jesus. And Jesus sees to the heart of the issue, he sees that there's pride and there's arrogance and there's a love for something greater than, than Jesus. And what does he do? He tells him, okay, if that's the case, then go sell all that you've got and give it to the poor. And the scripture says that he walks away disheartened, that he walks away from it. Give all you've got to the poor. He walks away surprised, sad, thought he had it figured out, but it wasn't even close See, the kingdom of God is upside down. 19 through 26, verses 19 through 26, the disciples are instructed on on difficulty for the rich, for the prestigious getting into heaven. And and what God tells them is what's impossible man is possible with God. The kingdom of heaven is upside down. Look at verse 16 again here in in chapter 20. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I mean, isn't this the nature and heart of God? Isn't this what he's like? His ways are not our ways. Isaiah prophesied that 800 years before this. See, church, the gospel is different from everything that we have ever heard before, everything that we've ever experienced, ever known. That's what the gospel is. What is the vineyard? What are these workers? Who is the vineyard owner? It's Jesus. It's our God rescuing and redeeming even at the the last minute for some of us, ransoming us, rescuing us from ourselves. Giving us opportunity. That's what this is a picture of. That's what the gospel is. See, the gospel of what Jesus is never what we think it is. It is so much greater, it's so much better than we could ever imagine. It rescues when there's one hour left, when there's one minute, when there's one second. That's what the gospel does. Thank God the last will be first because each of us in this room, church, hear me. Each of us in this room, we're one of the last. We're one of the last. Each of us that have come to faith in Jesus Christ by way of the cross, we were one of the last. And what does Jesus do? He offers us a way to be first. And it's through the redemptive work of the cross. That's us. We're the ones in the marketplace. We're the ones in the marketplace standing there some of us got in early some of us waited till later but the good news is simply this is that the grace and mercy of our savior was extended and for whatever reason you accepted and you believed god offered to us so what i want to do to kind of close out this morning is this i just want to look at people who have the wrong view of the kingdom of god I want to I look and I want to press you this morning how you can know if you have the wrong view of the kingdom of God. The first thing that will happen is this, is that salvation is a reward to be earned. That'll be the thought, that'll be the mindset, and that is a dangerous view because many of us, we wouldn't say that with our mouth, but we believe that in our heart, don't we? Salvation is something to be earned, and so we make ourselves Christians because we do good things. We've earned it. We've done the right things, we go to church, that's a first type thinker. We give to the poor, that's a first type thinker. We help others, that can be a first type thinker. We vote the right way, that can be a first type thinker. These things are not wrong in and of themselves but when we bargain with God and we come to him on our own terms and we think in our heart, God, I've done something for you, look at me, I am worthy, you need me, though we never say it with our lips but our lives will reek of it, we miss the whole point of his kingdom. We miss his mercy. We miss his gift. That's what happens. See, salvation is not a reward to be earned, but a gracious gift given to be received. That's what salvation is. We've done absolutely nothing to earn it or deserve it. And so people who have the wrong view of the kingdom of God, they think salvation is a reward to be earned. The second way you can kind of test and see if you got the wrong uh, view of the, of the kingdom of God is that you have a shallow perception of God. That may be a shallow perception of God. See, the people who worked first made an agreement with the landowner ahead of time. Did they not? They knew what they were getting into. They knew what was agreed upon. And so they make this this deal before. And so what do they do? They grumble when they don't get what they agreed upon? No, 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 no. They grumble even though they've gotten what they they agreed upon. Uh, They grumble because he was gracious and merciful even to the ones who they thought didn't deserve it. I mean, is that not a shallow perception of God? You mean you saved them? God, you mean you've given them that? See, they don't recognize the goodness of the landowner here. So what do they do? They murmur and they complain. They murmur and they complain. They judge the things they have based on what others have. That's what they do. I've worked so hard all day long for this. They worked three hours, some one hour. And God, you would give them that? God, maybe you don't know them like I do. Maybe that's a thought that runs through our heart. You don't know them like I do. You don't know where they've come from. God, do you know how they act? Do you know how they, what they say, what they do? And, church, if I could just encourage you here for a moment, because hear me God made you, you, and He put you where He wants you. And He has given you what He, he has given you and equipped you with what He's equipped you with for the work that He's got before you. Don't, don't worry about what somebody else has, don't focus on what God's given so and so. Focus on what God's given you and where he's placed you. You'll never be all that he's created you to be when you compare and contrast compared to every other believer. Oh, they live there, or they drive that, or they do this, or they walk over there, or they, they work there. I'm so much smarter than that person. How do they get to work there and I don't? When we start to do that, we take our focus off of the one that's called us to do what he's called us to do and we can never be effective where he's called us to be. What I've learned in my life is it's a good gift of god where he puts you it causes me to scratch my head a lot it causes me to have a lot of introspect god what are you doing here god why this what this situation why in this moment why would you allow this to happen and me to go through this and there's been a lot of conversation back and forth between god and myself are you kidding me like haven't i worked hard enough for that or haven't I done this or haven't I followed you faithfully and all it does is just reveal my heart all it does is God show me some areas in my life where I need to get my eyes off of me get my eyes on him because there are people that need Jesus at the third hour at the sixth hour at the ninth hour at the twelfth hour And it's his goodness and his mercy that allows us to be wherever it is that he puts us so that we can go after people wherever they're at. And I'm like, you get that, don't you? Like, there are people in this room that only you'll be able to reach, that I'll never be able to reach with the gospel. There's people that you work with day in and day out. There's people that you're going to set with this coming year at school that only you are going to be able to reach with the gospel of Jesus uh, there's places that you work at that you 're only going to there 's a community that li- that you live in that God has placed you there for that purpose not because the house is pink and you love pink houses no because the community is lost and they need jesus that 's the mission. And be happy and content in where God has put you and where he's placed you to reach who he's called you to go after. Like you don't live at your address just by happenstance. You don't like that type of house just because you like brick over vinyl. No, it's because God has placed you and put you where he wants you to work the work that he has given you to reaching the world with the gospel. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing And when we think other than that, it shows our shallow perception of God. See, the right and grand view of God is fully grasped when we accept his love and mercy toward us for the first time. Yes, we get that, but we've got to be very, very careful not to take our eyes off of what he has rescued and what he has saved us from. And church, that's so easy to do, is it not? It's so easy to be like the guys who got hired on first and worked all day long. God, look at what all I've done for you. Look at what all I've sacrificed. Look at what all I've given. Look at at everything that I've done for you and you're gonna give them that? The fact that God would give us anything should blow our minds. The fact that God would do anything for us should blow our minds. Like, do you get what we are like, who we are apart from Jesus Christ? That we are wicked and sinful, that the scriptures would describe us as an enemy of God? An enemy of God, what does an enemy do? An enemy tries to upend, an enemy tries to offset, an enemy tries to destroy. Though you may have never talked like that or you may have never thought like that, being separated from God, that's exactly what you are. That's the picture that the scriptures paint of us. Worker of iniquity? Like we were dirty. And I'm not talking about like just like a, like a, little, uh, a little stain on the knees and we just fell down and oops, bumped into something. No, no, I, like I'm talking about filth is what we were apart from Jesus so the fact that he would save and rescue and redeem any of us any of us is amazing that's what we've got to get our heart and eyes on another reason another way that we can uh, kind of assess whether we have a wrong view of the kingdom of God or not is this is that we don't have grace for others failures Uh, that we don't show grace and mercy when other people fail and fall see a graceless person is the sign of a godless person A.W. Tozer, just this, this, this mammoth man of the faith, he writes this. He says, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. A Pharisee is hard on others, easy on himself, but a spirit-filled man is easy on others and hard on himself. Maybe a way to ask it is this. What's your attitude toward people who are living immoral, foul, and filthy lives? What's your attitude toward them? What about those who believe different than you believe? Whether it be politics, whether it be parenting, whether it be lifestyle choices, what, what is your attitude toward those people? What I've learned is this, that Christians who aren't spiritually mature are some of the most difficult people to be around. Most judgmental, most flamboyant, most outspoken and graceless people that I've ever seen are those who claim to have and claim to be mature but never show and extend that grace and mercy Man, I I, I get lost people being lost and acting like lost people, but it's when the saved people act like that. It's when those who think that there's something really show by their lifestyle and their actions that they're not, that they don't understand and they haven't grasped the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So Jesus makes this comment as the band comes back up to lead us. He makes that comment and says the first will be last and the last will be first. Why? Because they get it they get the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the vineyard owner. When they are, do do you imagine for a moment, how grateful was the one that got hired on at 5 p.m., knowing the quitting times at six, and not because they don't have to do much work, but for the very fact that God was gracious enough to extend to them the invitation to be a part of, to receive and get what he had. I mean, imagine that for a moment see the one in the parable that didn't praise the generosity of the landowner they criticized him those are the ones that we need to watch out for those are the ones that we need to test and make sure that's who i saw when i first read this that was me oh, god why would you give him that god, god why why would you do that to them and what did god do all the while reading and studying this as he just showed me some areas in my heart some of the deep deep dark areas that i need to work on are you showing love are you showing grace are you showing mercy are you caring for the lost? Are you, are you getting involved in their life? See, those in the story early on, they were self-satisfied and legalistic. They were part of the, why didn't we get more crowd is what they were. See, if you think you've earned it and others don't deserve it, you suppose that you'll get a great reward, you'll be disappointed and you'll be last. That's what Jesus is trying to teach. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. It's not a give up your parking spot. It's not a, a, a give, pick the worst person first. That's not what this is. This is a, a seeing and understanding and knowing and being aware of the grace of God, being grateful toward the fact that God would save any of us in this room. Any of us, that's what this is. See, those who live last who live to be last are not people who try to be last in order to get first that's not the harder motive behind it no no no. those they are those who are grateful that they have gotten anything at all and in that gratitude what do they want to do they want to extend to others the sweet invitation of redemption you know you know how you'll know if you'll be first you tell others about the one who can make you first who can rescue you, who can offer you in that last hour, in the first hour, in any hour. That's the response of one who's been turned upside down for the kingdom. So I don't know what God's maybe stirred in your heart as a result of this morning, as a result of his word. I don't know what he's shown you, what he's given you. But man, may we be gracious like Jesus was gracious. May we extend that mercy like Jesus extended that mercy. We'll only be first by being last. And the only way that we're last is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I don't know what he's stirred. I don't know what he's shown you. But you be be obedient to whatever it is that God calls you to this morning. If you need to come pray, if you need to go talk to someone, if you need to step out and make a phone call, response time is not just come down to an altar. Response time is do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And just for the record, you don't have to wait till we get a cool little keyboard going and some music started like you you can do that at any time throughout whenever god speaks to your heart you be obedient so whatever he's called you to in the morning whether it's stand up and praise with everything in you and be grateful for the fact that you've got your day's wage salvation from the king whatever it may be you respond as god leads lord we need you and we thank you for your word god thank you for Thank you for this story, God, as it just reveals just some of the hardness of my heart toward others who I may think are lazy, toward others who I think don't deserve, toward others, and really, God, in all reality, it's just showing some issues in my life that I need to work on. Showing some of the parts of my heart that I gotta get the me out of. There's not room for you and I, God, so I want all of you, so Jesus, do a work in this place this morning, do a work in me. God, help me to be grateful. We love you and we need you. In name we pray. Amen. If you guys would stand, respond as God calls. They're going to lead us in a song. If you want to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, you be obedient.